you have pain for a reason, pain is your body's warning signal that something is not right. And that probably means that it was flying under the radar as long as it possibly could. And our bodies are really good at compensating. So our bodies are going to try to get away with flying under the radar as long as possibly can until it can't anymore. And that's when you have pain, which means it's already too late. So if you have pain, address it. You know, you might have to take a few days off, but that's better than taking a few games or a few months off. Hi, this is Rebecca Lee, physical therapist with MedStar NRH Hunt Valley inside U.S. Lacrosse National Headquarters, and you're listening to the Heads and Tails Podcast. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Som, and each week I bring you an inspiring athlete's story of perseverance or expert knowledge in the field of sports health and safety. Just like flipping a coin, you can't control what happens to you in sports or in life. You can always control how you respond. This is my response after suffering a traumatic brain injury in a high school football game, and I hope it leaves you feeling both inspired and informed. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails podcast. This week I'm interviewing Rebecca Lee, who is a sports physical therapist at MedStar National Rehabilitation Network and was a dual sport Division I soccer and softball player at the George Washington University. Uh, currently, Rebecca primarily works with athletes of all levels and patients with orthopedic injuries at the U.S. Lacrosse headquarters in Sparks, Maryland. And uh, Rebecca has been a supporter of the podcast, and she's gone through a lot of injuries herself, and I'm sure she translates that into her current profession as a physical therapist. Um, so, Rebecca, can you just start off by kind of going through some of the injuries that have led to your 23 different surgeries that you've had to this point? So, yeah, I've had 23 orthopedic surgeries. Um, it all started back when I was a dual sport athlete at GW. Um, so I played two sports in college, and during my junior year, I had what's called a Liz Frank dislocation. Um, basically, I dislocated my midfoot, and ever since then, I've just had kind of surgery after surgery. Um, that first injury was probably the worst one that I had. If you look at my foot now, it looks like a bag of screws was dropped on it. Um, but yeah, that kind of started this path of uh, where I am today. Yeah, I've seen that picture, and it does literally look like there's a bag of screws in your foot. <laughs> Yeah. So how did that first injury happen? Like, were you just genetically predisposed to like that injury? Just like how your foot's made up or like what led to that? Actually, that's, that's a great point. So I'm kind of, my ligaments are a little loose. So I kind of, I tend to dislocate things pretty easily. So I'm more prone to injury. So a lot of athletes tend to be hypermobile so they can go beyond what's normal which to a certain degree is a good thing if you can if you can have the control to stabilize it, but at some point it, it becomes too much. And that's kind of what happened with my foot. I was just five minutes into practice, October 6, 2004. I can take you back to the exact spot on the field. I took a funny step and just went down. And this was in college? Yep, my junior year, yep. Junior year in college, yeah. Yep. Um, so I, it's funny that you say like the hypermobile thing because – you're right. Like now I feel like in sports health, people constantly are preaching like mobility. And I come from the CrossFit world where like, that's a, a word that you hear constantly yes. is, is hyper or, or is mobile. But yes. you're saying like some people can be hyper mobile and you're, you're just like, you're born that way. You think? Yeah. So, well, there's, there's a, a whole spectrum of hyper mobility. So there's an actual condition called Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, um, which is actual like a, true condition where you where your collagen which makes up your your ligaments and your tendons is really too stretchy um it can affect your heart it can affect other other areas in your body as well i'm probably somewhere on that spectrum i've never been officially diagnosed um however uh 
you know, being more prone to those injuries, it's super, super important that you're more stable. So people, as you said, are all about this mobility piece right now. But if you don't have the stability to control that mobility, then that's when injuries happen. So what could you have done at the time to give you that stability that you lacked? Like, was there anything in your, like, training regimen that, looking back, you probably should have been doing to kind of counteract that or – yeah, sure. So, I, like I said, I played two sports in college, so overuse conditions were pretty easy for me to get, um, and I didn't really pay a lot of attention to that active recovery piece, which I think is really under uh, under addressed these days. So, definitely paying more attention to the stability piece and taking time in the off season to take care of those things probably would have uh, been very beneficial, and just taking time to rest in general. Right. Anything like specifically, like certain exercises that would have Pro, that you, you as a physical therapist now, like you would have told an athlete in your shoes that you, that, that comes into your office. For for Liz Frank injury, unfortunately, there's nothing. I mean, it was just a the right force at the right time. There's nothing I could have done to prevent that. Unfortunately, can you kind of explain like what the Liz Frank injury is and like how I guess it affects athletes? Sure. So the Liz Frank, it's a uh, Injury, that's what's called your tarsometatarsal joint. So like where your long toes meet the little bones in your foot. Um, And basically they dislocate. So the ligaments hold bones together. And when bones go too far, your ligaments are your last checkpoint to make sure things don't go too far. So if it stretches too far, they tear. And so it's basically a sprain of your midfoot. Um, It's very common in more like football, gymnastics, more traumatic, high-velocity uh, sports, okay. not, not as common in soccer. Okay. And does it usually happen like based off of like a contact type injury or is it like yeah. usually non-contact actually. Non-contact. Okay. Yep. Interesting. Um, so what other injuries did you have like throughout your career? Oh gosh. <laughs> uh, I chronically dislocate my shoulder. Um, so at one point in college when I was playing left field, I, had a stress fracture going on and I dove dislocated my shoulder. So on campus, I was a girl walking around in a walking boot and a sling at one point, which was a little embarrassing. Uh, but other than that, I had a knee surgery. I've had my other foot operated on for tendon issues. Um, and then my left foot I've had, I mean, it took 16 surgeries to fix my left foot. So that's the bulk of my surgeries. And, and now you feel like since those surgeries you've, you feel like you're at like a hundred percent or a hundred percent would be playing sports full out. And unfortunately I can't competitively play sports anymore because of all these injuries. Um, so definitely not a hundred percent, but learning how to manage what I, what I can do and, you know, thinking about what I can do versus dwelling on what I can't do. Right. That's a common theme on the podcast. Um, <laughs> so do you think all this stems from your hyper hypermobility, like all these injuries, like the the root cause was your hypermobility. That definitely was at the the core of it. But then you pile on my, uh, I guess my competitive drive and lack of knowing when to stop at the right point. So it was just a nasty combination of those factors that right. probably led me to get more hurt more frequently. Where do you think that mentality came from? Like, is there an instance where you you remember that, like as a kid? I've always just been super, super competitive. So I didn't really play organized sports until high school. 
Um, but I just remember no matter what it was, whatever I was assessed about, I would put in like time and effort and practice it over and over and over again. Right. That's not always, uh, I, I was the same exact way. So I, I, yeah. I, part of the problem with athletes is like, they don't know how to get out of their own way. So hopefully Absolutely. by someone listening to this, they'll know to take a break every once in a while. Um, but while you were hurt, like you said, like you were walking around campus with with your arm in a sling and your your foot in a boot. So, you, did you have like an injury prone like tag almost like with your teammates and your coaches? Like, how did they treat you during during these times? Yeah, I mean, anytime I would get hurt, or it would be like the Joko Beck is hurt again, and it's it's tough being that person because you don't want to be that way. Like, I don't play sports to get hurt. Um, you play sports because you want to be on the field and being competitive and all those aspects. So it, it wasn't fun being that person. And you kind of, I mean, at some point you kind of have to think about other ways to gain advantage from being that way. So like I would try to use my time to learn more about the game by watching my teammates or, you know, just trying to find a different role to uh, fill, I guess. Okay. So you would say that your teammates were like supportive and your coaches were supportive for the most part? Absolutely. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. So yeah. sometimes like, I know in my case, like the culture of toughness in football kind of like, you know, it frowned upon people taking care of themselves basically. Sure, so sure. that's why I never like listened to my body. Cause I just didn't want to deal with the aftermath of saying that I was hurt. I, th um, I think internally that pressure was definitely there. Like you don't want to be the one to speak up. You're, you're afraid like you're going to lose playing time or people, your teammates are going to think you're weak or whatever, but thankfully I never had to deal with that, but I understand that that issue exists for sure. And that's a big problem. So how did you feel like during those times when you were hurt and like away from the sport itself or like not being able to play, like how did you deal with that mentally and emotionally? Not well. <laughs> I remember my, so after my junior year when I got hurt and I found out that I had to have surgery and our head athletic trainer came to me and he said, so you need to find a hobby. And I'm like, well, what do you mean I need to find a hobby? Like this sports is what I do. And he's like, well, you maybe find a book to read or I don't know, find something to do. I was, I was like, I don't want to. So it was definitely a struggle um, being college, um, just not really. I mean, sports, it was, sports was my identity pretty much. And I hate to say that, but it really was. I was playing two sports in college um, at a academically challenging place. And it was very, very tough uh, the first time just trying to figure things out. So what was the hobby that you picked up or did you just sulk in your misery? <laughs> oh gosh, no, I did not find a new hobby. It took me like 20 years to find a new hobby. <laughs> I'm still, I'm still trying to find what, uh, what fills that void. Yeah, I mean, it took me a long time, too, to figure it out. And honestly, it wasn't until I started this podcast until I kind of, like, was like, you know what? I'm not just sports. I could do other things, too. But um, yeah. what were you saying? Yeah, and, you know, going through that, I feel like just honestly within the last year, I've come to realize the importance of all the other factors of life aside from sport. Um, I mean, everyone's journey is different, and mine may have taken a little while, but I, I've realized, like, the importance of – like relationships and nutrition and sleep and all those other pillars of health. It's just not about playing your sport. It's all those other things that make up who you are. Right. And I'm, I'm guessing you didn't get taught that kind of stuff, like as a student athlete, right? No, of course not. Yeah. <laughs> no. Did you like talk to anyone during that time? Like when you were 
hurting away from the game? Like, did they have like sports psychologists or anything to like kind of help you deal with the the mental side of that? Uh, I took a sports psychology class in college because I was very interested in it. Um, but no, I didn't specifically have anyone aside from mentors that I had growing up. I didn't really have anyone to talk with aside from you know my teammates and my coaches and all of that. Okay, so did you did you ever? By, I know you said it took you like 20 years to figure it out, um, but did you develop like any kind of coping strategy, you know, whether positive or negative throughout the process? Well, yeah, for sure. So having gone through surgeries when I was in PT school and now as a professional and I've had to take a lot of time off work and all of that with all these surgeries that I've had. So Hobbies-wise, I mean, I've become – I love reading. Um, I listen to a ton of podcasts. I'm just always trying to figure out how to better myself and how to help my patients. So that's kind of when I'm when I'm off work and I can't be – and I can't exercise. That's kind of like where I, I route my energy. Cool. What are your favorite podcasts to listen to? Oh, favorite podcast. Uh, Mind Pump Radio. Oh, I've never um, heard of that one. What's that about? They are three personal trainers. Um they they have a lot of experience in training, but they also cover just a variety of topics and uh, just you know talk about the importance of respecting your body and how to weight train and you know just all the pillars of health that I that I've come to really value. Um, Model Health Show is another one. What is that one? Can you say that again? The, the Model Health Show. Model Health. With Sean Model Stevenson. Health. What's that one about? Oh man, <laughs> I'm opening up your world here. Yeah, Sean Stevenson. Yeah. He uh, he wrote the book Sleep Smarter. Okay. Um. Okay. So another another guy that's just he's at the top of the podcast on on the health uh, forum, and he covers one. He just brings like the great guests on, and I don't know. He I, it's hard to explain, but he just it's just health topics and research based information, and all that good stuff. All right. Can you talk about how you've kind of implemented some of these pillars of health into your life, like since you've kind of discovered them and maybe athletes listening to this right now can start implementing it before they get hurt like us? Yeah. So, I mean, big biggest thing is probably uh, like active recovery. So not waiting until you're hurt to, to deal with what you're going through. Um, you know, one of the things I think we're going to talk about is sports specialization, but I'll, you know, the pressure to play one sport and not take time off because you're worried about if you take one season off and Johnny's going to pass you, um, valuing that time off and, and taking that time to better yourself so that you can be better in your sport. Ultimately. Um, that's one of the big pieces that I've learned also just, you know, reading, um, taking time off from the TV. I don't watch a lot of TV anymore. Books are just so valuable and I feel like we when do you just sit on the couch and read a book these days? You know, we're so tied to technology and disconnecting from that from time to time is really, really rewarding. So those are two big things that I've implemented in my own, my own health. Cool. Yeah. I think it's tough for like athletes to kind of grasp like what active recovery is like taking an off season. It's like, well, what do I do? Like, I don't know what to do. So you, you got to find like other hobbies to kind of like, fill fill the gap of like taking your mind off of it and stuff like that so reading could be one thing i know a lot yeah. of people that come on the podcast talk about like getting into some sort of like art form whether that's like music or um it could be like art like like painting art like that kind of stuff sure. um yep. 
So even like, just playing what about just playing a pickup basketball game for the fun of it not because you have to like play to you know in a tournament or something right just having fun again i feel like the fun has been just drained out of sports so badly so, like john o'sullivan but, said yeah yeah no, <laughs> um, it's true yeah so what was it like playing two division one sports like did you go to um george washington university because you could play two sports there or like how'd that kind of come about or are you just no, such a stud no. that you're like, we, we need you to play? <laughs> Hardly. So I, I would call myself average at best. So I, I went there to play soccer. Um, and then when I got there, my person who was my best friend in college was on the softball team. It was their first year having a varsity team. And she was their first recruit. She ends up being my roommate. Um, so she was like, Becca, we need, we need a center fielder. I was like... I didn't come here to play two sports and she, she, she talked me into it and I went for it and I, I couldn't say no to the opportunity. It was just too, too cool of an opportunity to turn it down. Was your soccer coach cool with it? She was very, very supportive. Um, my first year, the, in January, I was kind of playing both sports. So I would go to soccer practice, go to classes, go to softball practice, go to classes. And I just got very, very burnt out. So after the second semester, I said, it's got to be like one sport per semester. or This isn't going to happen. It's not going to last. So which one would you, would you have picked if you had to pick one? Soccer. Soccer. Yeah. That's like your, yep. your love. Yep. Definitely. All right. Um, so how did you kind of like balance i because I, I, we talk we'll get into the sports specialization thing because mm -hmm. i mean people say to play multiple sports but at the same time if you're going from like soccer to playing basketball to playing softball in the spring and then most people play like a sport in the summer if you're if you play softball most people play that like through the summer so like when do you really get an off season even though you're doing different things is that good enough but in your case it seems like it might have you know been too much right i mean First, I guess my first question is like, why? Why do you want to specialize in a sport? Like, what's the motivation behind it? Do you? I mean, the statistics in, for instance, high school football. There's over a million kids that play high school football. Maybe six to seven percent play in the NCAA, and one to two percent will play in the NFL. So the likelihood of playing professionally is so so minimal, um, which for me backs up playing multiple sports anyway. Um, because playing one sport, you're just you're increasing your chance of getting hurt. Anytime you do something over and over and over again, your likelihood of getting hurt rises. Um, there's studies, many studies out there about asymmetries in playing one sport. So the more you play one sport, the more asymmetries you have. The more asymmetries you have, the more injuries you're prone to. So I mean, everything just supports the importance of playing multiple sports versus just one sport all year round. Okay. So you work at a lacrosse like facility, right? So yes. do most of the athletes that come in to see you are they do they only play lacrosse? So the the clinic's open to any and all sports. I do see a lot of lacrosse athletes just because of the venue where I, I practice. Um, but yeah, it's it's a lot of one sporters, um, unfortunately. Do you and do you think that a lot of their injuries stem from the fact that they only play one sport? Or is it hard uh, to kind of say? No, 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 absolutely, absolutely. And the big problem, too, is that they're they're starting earlier and earlier. So, you know, when their development, they're developing and their bodies just aren't ready to handle those stresses. And then they're compounding that with just doing repetitive things and their bodies break down, they can't handle it. 
Right. So what are some of the most common injuries that you see in your practice? Well, ACL for sure. Yeah. Um, number one. Yep. Um, so, and the mechanism of injury for those on in general for, for your population, is it non-contact or contact? Mostly non-con non-contact. Yeah. And yep. do you see like both, uh, males and female athletes like equally or yeah you know it kind of ebbs and flows but typically pretty equally men and women of all ages from literally nine years old was the youngest acl that i've had what yeah um all the way up to how old 30s 40s i feel like when i'm when i think back to when i was nine years old i'm like i didn't even know what an acl was (laughs) Right. Like, I didn't even know the injury until I think the first time I was aware of an ACL injury was when I was watching the national championship game when I was like 11 for football and it was Miami mm-hmm. versus Ohio state and Willis McGahee tore his ACL. Like, yes. but that was a contact injury and his whole like mm-hmm. knee went backwards. Like that was the first time that I had even heard of like what an ACL was. So it's crazy to me to think that a nine year old has like torn their ACL. Like, yeah, it's it's sad. It's really sad what's happening in sports today, in new sports. So what advice do you give these athletes like after they get hurt and they only play one sport? Do you try to like push them into doing other things or Yeah, so I I mean obviously I can't push them to do anything that uh they don't want to do, but I guess the the value or the the benefit of what I do is I see the parents are there and the kids there, so a lot of time spent is educating them. Um just educating on why the injury happens. And I, I'm hesitant to use the word prevent injury. I don't think we can prevent it. I think we can reduce the risk. Um, so I really use my time to incorporate like a full body routine to address any limitations or asymmetries that I've found to try to kind of put them back to 100%. Do you do like an FMS screen type thing or – like, uh, I use I use the SFMA a little more than FMS. Um, I use a combination of, of things. I don't have one thing I initially go to. Can you kind of explain that process of like finding the asymmetry just for the audience in case they're not familiar with that stuff? Sure. So anytime an athlete comes in, I, I don't just look at like the whatever body part they're coming for because you know the body is all connected. And you, there's there's there could be something further up the chain or below the chain that could be contributing to why they got hurt. So they, they'll come in, I'll have them take their shoes off, I'll look at them and touch their toes, leaning back, turning side to side. I'll put all their joints through their full range of motion to see if there's any limitations. I'll test their strength in all different planes, um, watch them balance, watch them walk, and uh, kind of put together a plan for, for what I find. So is it like pretty subjective? Because I know like the functional movement screen is like a score. You get like a score and mm-hmm. then you kind of find the, the deficiencies that way. So you said SFMA, it's called? Selective Functional Movement Assessment, yeah. So is that more subjective, like, to the physical therapist, or? It's it's objective. There's a whole scoring system as well for oh, that. Okay. Uh, the FMS is more just a quick down and dirty screen. It doesn't give you a ton of information from, you know, if someone's injured um, standpoint. So the SFMA is better for the injured population, whereas FMS is better if the athlete's, like, you know, they're fine, no injuries, just trying to break, find an asymmetry. Okay. Um, so let's talk about your transition to life after sports. So, you know, your college career seems like it was kind of filled with injuries and it seems like you were kind of hurt after that as well. Right. Yep. So 
how did you transition away from being an athlete who was hurt to being a NARP, as they say? I, I don't know. Have you heard that before? No, what oh. is that? When I was in college, some girl who was on the field hockey team was like, yeah, you're a NARP. I'm like, what's a NARP? She's like, a non-athletic regular person. I'm like, what? I was <laughs> like, you guys have a name for that? I'm like, I hate you all. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so how was it going to – your your life after sports and and still struggling with these injuries Uh, i mean the hardest part is taking so much time off work um i'm really passionate about what i do and i i hate missing work so now that's the tough part about it and also taking time away from the gym and not being able to work out and exercise because that those things are really really important to me still even though like i can't play competitive sports anymore still i value those things so that's probably the hardest part all right. So what about like aside from the injuries, what's been the hardest part about being away from like a team and um, like maybe what led you into getting into the, the field of physical therapy? Uh, I think the social aspect of not being part of a team um, is what I miss, like the camaraderie and, you know, all the outings together, that kind of thing about it. Um, sports really taught me about like time commitment and working hard and supporting each other. And I use those values in, in daily life. Um, but I went from working with nine, about nine physical therapists to being with me and another physical therapist assistant where I am now. Um, so a lot smaller and more on my own. Okay. So just having to be more independent now. Did you know you wanted to be a physical therapist like while you were in college or how did that come about? Uh, I feel like one of the lucky ones, uh, since high school, I always know what I want to do. There was never a doubt in my mind that I want to be a PT, but I, I don't know where it came from. I don't, I just, I remember in high school, my teammates would get hurt and I was so intrigued by it and I wanted to know like, why did they get hurt and how to get them back? And I just wanted to know about the anatomy and physiology about it. I, no clue where it stemmed from, but always followed that path. Cool. Just an inherent thing that you had going. Uh, yep. so in high school you weren't, you never really got hurt. Uh, I probably did. I, I guess I pushed that away from my memory. I remember, uh, a, maybe a hairline fracture at some point, a couple sprained ankles, probably nothing, nothing horrible. That made me miss a lot of time though. Okay. What do you tell your athletes now who are hurt and they're struggling and they're away from their team and feeling bad about it? Like, how do you help them cope with that mentally? Uh, once again, it comes back to the education piece, um, trying to, you know, find other avenues to, I guess, express themselves in like that competitive way, be it like, well, also valuing their time with their team. So even if they're not able to play, I encourage them to still go to practice and being in that environment. And cause you really can learn a lot by watching. Um, I'm also, I'm currently starting a study about kinesiophobia, which is, the fear of movement and how it affects an athlete's ability to get back to their prior level of playing and utilizing meditation during the rehab process to help with that or help reduce the anxiety in sport. Um, cause I feel like that psychological component is really missed in the rehab process. Interesting. So can you kind of talk about like your hypothesis for that? Like where, where'd that idea come from? Uh, I went to a conference about two years ago, um, where they talked about this whole kinesiophobia thing and I, I had never heard of it. And it just kind of sparked my my interest um, because I know personally, like anytime you get hurt and you go back to playing that those first few practices, games, like there's always something in the back of your head saying, well, what if I do this? What if I go too fast? You know, 
that fear of getting hurt again and missing all that time again is definitely still in there. Well, how did you overcome the kinesiophobia, it's called? Kinesiophobia, yeah. Kinesiophobia. How did you get over that as an athlete? And then what – how do you teach your athletes now uh, to get over the kinesiophobia as well? Is it with meditation or? Uh, I mean, me personally, I'm, I'm kind of a daredevil, a risk taker. So, I mean, right now I still, I, I just started snowboarding a few years ago. Um, I went bobsledding with one of my best friends. Uh, I, I still do uh, some crazy things just because that's me and I love doing that. Um, so the fear wasn't a huge issue for me. Um, I kind of weigh the risk benefit ratio at this point in my life, but, uh, I guess when you're younger, that's, that's harder to do. Definitely. Um, so, I mean, with the athletes that I have now, I just, you know, educating them to use like kind of imagery is a big thing, like picturing themselves, um, playing. And if I really think it's a big issue, I'll refer them to a sports psychologist. Um, if I, I, I use like subjective measures, like the TSK 11, which is a kinesiophobia scale or the ACL RSI, which is another, um, subjective measure to see like where their level of, of kinesiophobia is. Interesting. I didn't even know there's a name for it, but that's cool that you're studying that. And once you're done with the study, we'll have to do another episode on what the results were. That's pretty cool. Sure. Um, so do you see a difference between your female athletes recovery and your male athletes recovery? Like, how do you like, are they different in terms of like their mental and emotional status? And like, is one more prepared than the other to go back to the field? Like, what do you see uh, in terms of gender differences with the athletes that you, you, uh, treat? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if it's the patient population I work with being my location of my clinic. Um, most athletes I I treat really want to get back back to playing whether they're male or female. So I don't really see a big difference. Honestly, I think, uh, that fear can exist whether you're a boy or a girl. So I've seen really, really high level male athlete that was so scared just to single leg hop on his, his injured side for the first time compared to a, a girl that's 13 and jumping. Like she never stopped jumping before. Right. Or, you know, so it's, it, it really depends on the person. It's not like a sex thing. It's just, individualized okay so is there anything aside from the imagery that you help athletes or the the advice that you give athletes to transition back onto the field court ice whatever they're playing uh you know in, in rehab i try to make it pretty functional so i'm not just gonna have them on the bed raising their leg up and down i get them onto the field at my work um we're fortunate to have a, a full lacrosse field outside so I'll take them out and do cutting, pivoting, running, sprinting, kind of just to show them that they, they can do it. Um, and then as they, they realize that they can do it and then you repeat that, then the fear kind of reduces. Okay. Uh, cool. So have you come across some athletes who have had like career-ending injuries? Yes, of course. Yep. So how do you handle treating those athletes and their mental status? Uh, that is a whole nother beast, way harder. Um, you know, cause for me personally, that's, that's what kind of happened to me. I can't play soccer anymore. Um, and I haven't in now 13 years, it'll be come October. Um, so that, that's one of the hardest things, especially when an, an athlete is really high level and they have a surgery thinking they're going to be fixed and ready to go afterwards, but surgery is not a guarantee. 
unfortunately. So I don't, there's no good answer I have. It's trying to help them navigate that, that process of finding what other things they like to do or trying to help them find other sports that they could possibly play or just, you know, show them they can still do things, but can't do the thing they want to do. Yeah. I mean, I've been there. You've always, you've obviously been there. It's not, it's a hard thing to grasp, you know, and to try to figure out like a new transition when it's something that you've done your entire life. Uh, yeah. Sometimes it just like takes time. It really does. Like, I mean, I, I honestly still struggle with it. I, I still take my soccer ball out to the parking lot and I'll go juggle and, you know, I miss playing and I, there's, I feel like it's such a personal journey trying to figure out how to handle that. And there, there's no right or wrong answer, unfortunately. Can you kind of like take us through that journey for you a little bit? As far as when I got hurt to now? Yeah. Just like the, the highs, the lows, like I, I know f- for me, immediately after my injury and I was told that I can never play football again, you know, that was definitely the low point. And then it was kind of like an upward trajectory. You find new things and find new goals that you try to shoot for and accomplish. Um, but it's really up and down, like on that upward trajectory. Um, so if you could just maybe talk about some of the low points you had and then what got you out of those ruts. So for sure, the lowest point was my, my very first foot injury that October, um, the Liz Frank injury. Uh, it was in the fall and I did, I, I was a pretty good student, but my grades went downhill so badly. Um, I never had surgery before. I never really had that bad of an injury before that would take me out of, uh, the game for a significant amount of time. Um, so that was really hard. Definitely, definitely struggled in college to get through that for a good year or so. Um, they tried to treat me without surgery and then ultimately had surgery and then it failed. Um, and I was dealing with a lot of pain in my foot too during this time. So I'm at a division one college, uh, academically challenging. So those things piled on just, it was really challenging. So then I went home this semester after I got hurt and, uh, I tried to push myself to get back to playing and I tried to play that next fall and it just wasn't happening. So it was definitely a struggle for a long time trying to find my way and find what I could do. Um, I love working out and, you know, at that point I was just pushing myself way too hard and only hurting myself. Um, and people will try to help me realize that and I didn't want to hear it because when you're 20 something years old, you think you're, you're invincible. Yep. Um, so you kind of have to, I mean, people try to help you if you're not ready to accept that yourself. I don't think it's not really, you're not going to change until you're ready to accept that. Um, so that journey took me many, many years, um, because I overdid it for sure. Um, but at some point, you know, when I got to PT school, I realized, well, this is what I'm going to be doing the rest of my life and I can't keep taking time off (laughs) to have surgery and that's not going to work. Um, so that kind of is what started my my path to slowing down, I guess, a little bit. Um, and then once I graduated and still continued to have surgery, uh, so once again, it's like still trying to find my way. Um, and that's when I started listening to podcasts, started reading, and just mentally ch- try to figure better ways um, to cope. And I think ultimately what helped me was just changing my mindset. Um, I just got into a very negative mind frame and thinking like, you know, 
woe is me, this sucks, like just focusing on all the things I couldn't do. But once I started to switch that and focus on things that I could do and being thankful that, hey, I still have my foot, I can walk pain-free, I can I can do fun things still. Yes, I can't play soccer, but there's a million other things I can do that a lot of other people can't do. And being thankful for that and like honestly thankful for that, not just saying that to say that, that's kind of what got me through. No, I think that's perfect. And you're right. Like it, it takes a lot of time to get to that point. And your story is similar to mine in that way. Like I was always worried that because I wasn't a football player anymore, that I wasn't like tough or athletic or this or that. And like, that's how I like thought I proved my worth to the world. Mm-hmm. But I eventually figured out, I'm like, that really has nothing to do with playing football has nothing. doesn't make you tough. Like that doesn't make you a tough person. Like yep. the work that you put in to play football, that's like the tough part. And like, you could do that with like anything. So yep. absolutely. Yeah. If you just translate that mindset into something else, it, it definitely is, is uh, helpful. Yep. Um, like what personality traits do your athletes have that lead to like the best outcomes in their recoveries? Uh, it's the athletes that get invested in what they're doing that aren't like passive in their treatment. Um, they really take like an ownership of what they're going through and want to understand why they have to do what I'm giving them to do. Uh, those are the athletes that get better, the fastest the ones that are motivated to get back, but not just to, not just to go through the motions, but like truly understands how this is going to make them better. Okay. Um, by you, do you like, are you like in charge of the PT practice that you work at? I'm the clinic coordinator there. Okay. So how do you kind of foster an environment of like positivity and like healing in that environment? Cause I feel like not all PT practices are alike, right? Sure. Yeah. You, know, you can go to one down the road. That's completely different than the one that you work at. So yep. what goes into building like uh, a culture of healing and positivity, uh, you know, in, in your practice, I, I see your, the, the stuff that you post online and I feel like yeah. it's a cool place to work. So it, it is. So that was kind of like my goal when I, uh, so we've been open for a year now. And when we opened, my goal is to kind of create that fun environment, like a healthy, fun, inspiring place to be so that, you know, you come and do your rehab, but it doesn't feel like you're doing rehab. You know, when your patients, when my patients say like, they don't want to go home, they, they want to stay. And like when I, when I discharge patients, they don't want to stop coming. It's, it's really a, a testament to kind of what we've created there. Um, and it's just, you know, we have music playing. We have, uh, we have riddles on the, on the mirror. I have a, a quote or a question on the, the board for my patients to write on. So, like, what was your summer goal was the last one I did. So all my patients get to write their goal on the board. Um, but just creating just a fun, like, cool environment that it's, you know, you feel relaxed. You don't feel pressured. And um, just everyone's kind of chatting with each other. Right. So. What do you think, like, the music has to do? Like, I don't know of any PT practices that I've been at that have, like, music playing and stuff like that. No? Well, maybe, I don't know. I, not that I notice, at least, so. I've been oh, to a lot you of PT. Gotta have music. What I kind of music? Oh, well, I stream Pandora all day long, so it can be any from anything from, like, Dave Matthews Band to uh, Summer Hits of 2000s to, I don't know, anything. Whatever. Patient's Choice. Okay. Leave it up to them. Yep. So I also see that you guys have a lot of like innovative tools at your disposal. Um, and in particular, uh, blood flow restriction, I see you guys are doing. 
and yes. I've interviewed Johnny Owens and I've yes. been doing blood flow restriction for my knee and been seeing some positive results. So like what kind of, you know, innovative tools do you guys have and like, what are your thoughts on stuff like BFR and all that stuff? Sure. So, I mean, the first thing is it, it's great to have a lot of tools in your tool bag. There's not one tool that's going to fix everything. So personally, like I, I use, um, instrument assisted soft tissue mobilization, uh, ISTEM it's called, uh, I do dry needling. I do the SFMA, um, at, at my facility, we have, uh, the treadmill, the high speed treadmill that goes up to 20 miles per hour. We have a apply a press that has a force plate on it that I use for return to play testing. So measuring strength right and left, um, to see if there's any deviations there. Uh, we have an alter G anti-gravity treadmill. So that goes as low as 20% of your body weight. Um, so for athletes learning to run again or learn to walk again, et cetera, um, that's really, really helpful. But definitely, hands down, the best tool that I've I have right now is the blood flow restriction for sure. Um, it's the the one thing that's research truly research based, um, proven. It makes sense why it works, um, and my patients are really benefiting from it. So, yeah, I find when I use it, like I've t- I had a oats procedure done, like uh, I don't know, almost like oh, a little over two years ago. Okay. And probably five months after my injury, I had really bad kneecap pain. It's like that wasn't mm-hmm. my issue before. So the part that they fixed felt better, but they almost like created a different problem by doing the surgery. And sure. like to this day, I still have like kneecap issues, especially like going downstairs, anything that, where I'm like decelerating like pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. It like is not fun. So I started going to a new, t- new PT place and saw some benefit there but then i went to a conference met johnny owens and heard his stuff i'm like i was using voodoo floss at this new place and the voodoo floss helped me a ton so i'm like putting two and two together i'm like all right the voodoo floss helps me johnny owens is talking about this blood flow restriction thing (laughs) with like weight bearing injuries and it's hard to like gain muscle i'm like yeah i have all this atrophy still i'm like you know what this is probably like what i need so i've been doing it and honestly like my knee feels the best when i have that freaking tourniquet on my leg (laughs) You know, when it, when it's off is when it doesn't feel as good, but yeah, I mean, it, it makes so much sense why it works in my patients. Uh, I mean, the amount of muscle growth that they're, that I'm seeing in just four to six weeks of using it is just incredible. And, and they're getting stronger, faster in a way that's not stressing the joints. So it's perfect. It's a perfect tool for a physical therapist to use. Right. And I'll link up that episode with Johnny Owens in the show notes for this episode. Um, but yeah, I, I find it to be very beneficial as well. Yep. Uh, all right. The as- well, the benefit of uh, of the Owens Recovery Science Unit is that you know you get your personalized blood flow um, compared to those to other systems. You don't have that specialized uh, personal. They call it your tourniquet pressure. Um, so you really just by tying a band on your arm or your leg, it's it's not super safe. You don't know what percentage of blood flow you're restricting. Um, so if you're going to do it, I think it's really important that you do it correctly to save your limb. Right. Do it in a safe way. Yeah, yes. I will say that it is like the most uncomfortable, like muscle fatigue you have ever felt in your entire life. And it never gets easier. No, like, I, well, I've like gotten, I think my mentality has shifted. It hasn't gotten okay. easier, but like, <laughs> I know it's going to end at some point. So like, and I also think that 
I read that the longer you have it on, like the better it, like the more effective it is. So it's like if you wear it for five minutes, take it off, and then like put it back on again, it's not as effective as like doing like thirty minutes straight. So <laughs> I do thirty minutes straight now, but it is like okay. torture. <laughs> um, okay, what advice do you have for athletes who are like looking for a PT facility? after an injury, like what things should they look for and to kind of shop around to figure out like what place is the best. Cause I know from my experience, not every PT place is equal. And from your experience too, I'm sure you, you know, the same thing. So like, what is it like the BFR machines, the alter G like people that have those tools at their disposal, or is it more like the environment that we had talked about earlier? I, I honestly think it's a combination of, of both. Um, you don't need fancy, fancy tools and things to do a good job as a physical therapist. Um, so part of it is, uh, it's such a hard question. So if you walk in and like, there's, you know, you have a sports injury, you want to get back to playing sports, you walk into the clinic and it's a geriatric population. There's not a lot of space to do things. And maybe that's not the best place for you. Um, or if you need that environment where other athletes, there's younger people in, in the clinic that, that environment helps you. Um, then I would, I would recommend kind of calling a place and taking a tour of the place. I don't think that's, that's an issue. I've had people do that a lot. Um, just to check out what you got. Uh, if tools are great, if they have the blood flow, the blood flow restriction, that's awesome. You can check the owned recovery science to see who has their unit, um, there are other units out there, um, but I specifically have that one's recovery science unit. Um, you know, it, if you're if you're in PT and you're doing the same thing over and over and over again, and you're never progressing your exercises, and uh, you never get hands placed on you, and you're you get thrown off to do your treatments with the tech the whole time, then that's probably not a good sign um, that you're going to get better at the optimal speed. So look out for that kind of stuff. Um, I know we kind of touched on this earlier, but are there any injuries? Like what are the most important things that athletes can do to prevent injuries? I know you talked about the recovery piece, but are there certain like stretches or like things that they should be able to do? Like touch their toes. I know you posted a video today about like the importance of stretching and being able to like touch your toes. Yeah. So, so once again, like I'm hesitant to use the word prevention. I think injury risk reduction is a more appropriate thing to do because you know any anything can happen at any time you know if you're playing a sport 20 hours a week that's 20 hours that you're you're taking a step and the chances that you could get hurt it's it's it increases the more you're you're doing that activity um so yeah so i mean i think everyone should be able to touch their toes if you can you know just look at your body and look at yourself in the mirrors like one shoulder higher is something looking off um is your muscle girth more prominent on one side versus the other um, are you struggling to just do daily activities? Um, if you can play your sport, but you can't touch your toes or you can't squat down and untie your shoes and that's a problem. So taking that time in, in your off season, um, to get a good program to work on those asymmetries is going to improve the longevity of your ability to play your sport. I like that. And plus too, like if you have pain, address the issue. Don't just yes. like keep, yes. keep playing. Yes. So pain, pain you have pain for a reason. Pain is your body's warning signal that something is not right. And that probably means that it was flying under the radar as long as it possibly could. And our bodies are really good at compensating. So our bodies are going to try to get away with flying under the radar as long as possibly can until it can't anymore. And that's when you have pain. 
which means it's already too late. So if you have pain, address it. You know, you might have to take a few days off, but that's better than taking a few games or a few months off. So, or the rest of your career off. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, Okay. I I I spent some time in D.C. I know you live in that area. You spend a lot of time there. What's your favorite part about living in D.C.? Oh, hands down, being when I was able to uh, running around the monument, so Jefferson Memorial, going down and studying at the the Lincoln Memorial. Those are hands down my favorite things to do in DC. That's cool. I lived in uh, Gallery Place when I lived there, so I would always run around the monuments too. Nice, nice. It's a a great city. I I miss it. Uh, I do. Where can uh, listeners find you, like on social Uh, media and stuff? Sure. uh, I'm pretty much on Instagram at BexPhysio, B-E-C-S-P-H-Y-S-I-O. That's where I hang out. All right. I'll, I'll post that in the show notes. And to finish off, what's your personal definition of toughness? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, if I had to give just a simple answer, it'd be fall down seven times, stand up eight. Toughness is getting back up again. All right, cool. Uh, yep. Well, thank you for sharing your story and for supporting the podcast and helping athletes kind of understand the process of getting back to the field and possibly transitioning to a life after sports and i think you're using your own experiences in a a very positive way so i appreciate what you do thanks so much kevin